It's time for the Rose Chat Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the world's most beloved flower, the rose. Join award-winning gardeners Chris Van Cleef and Teresa Byington as they chat with rose lovers and experts from around the globe. With each episode, you'll gain valuable knowledge and insights to achieve the rose garden you've always dreamed of. Listen now as we explore the world of roses. Hey friends, on this episode of Rose Chat, I'm joined by a most impressive young woman, Rachel Burlington. Rachel is the curator of the International Rose Test Garden in Washington Park in Portland, Oregon. She is co-founder of the nonprofit called Women in Horticulture. She also serves on the Pacific Northwest Great Plant Picks Committee. Hmm, doesn't that sound interesting? There's so much to chat about, so let's get started. Hey, Rachel, welcome to Rose Chat. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Rachel, for such a young person, you have an impressive history in the world of roses and horticulture in general. And as we can see, you wear many hats. So my first question is, what sparked your interest? That's, that's a really good question. Um, if we're talking about roses, I like to say that my first uh, rose garden was a literary one. I, um, as a little girl, you know, I didn't really do a lot of growing of plants or roses, but I would actually write these stories about them. And um, they were just kind of like um, fairy tales and that type of thing. But, you know, that, that made me just love roses and love flowers and think a lot about them when I was a young, young girl. When, just for context, we're, we're thinking like 12, 13. And so when it came around to um, deciding what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, um, <laughs> naturally, I gravitated towards <clears throat> science and plants. And so, um, uh, so I always thought I wanted to be a florist. I wanted to be in some sort of nursery production. And um, so I pursued uh, my bachelor's of science in nursery crop production and floriculture at Delaware Valley University in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Small ag school right outside of Philadelphia. And I think what's a pivotal moment is going there because I, I realize there is more to horticulture than just um, you know uh, growing the plants. I realized I love public gardens and I'm a self-proclaimed extrovert. I'm not ashamed of it. Um, I love people. So learning about public gardens and the intersection between um, plants and people truly is what um, uh, may, is making my um, made um, plant science and, and public gardens just so rewarding. Now, we know that you're at the test garden now, but that wasn't your first uh, garden gig. Tell us about your time at the Barnes Arboretum. Absolutely. I, I feel like that is absolutely uh, set me up for success to be able to go into this role at the Portland Rose Garden. I uh, right outside of I graduated from college. I did uh, a seven month internship at Disney World, which was amazing. Being able to work in the Disney World greenhouses was a wonderful experience. Um, but when I, after that was over, I got my first big girl job at the Barnes Arboretum. And um, I was there, you know, just some context. The Barnes Arboretum also had an art collection that eventually moved to downtown um, Philadelphia. And so I came in right when they were moving that art 
and the Arboretum was kind of going through a transformative stage. So it was very fortunate. Um, and I saw um, they had a formal garden and that included a rose garden. And I always had this affinity and love for roses. So I said, this is my, this is my area. This is what I want to learn. And um, I didn't actually have any civic knowledge about roses, but uh, I, I certainly learned really fast. <laughs> On the job training for sure. Absolutely. And, and I, I remember working in the Rose Garden, the Barnes Arboretum, listening to Rose Chat on my headphones. So I am just pleased to be able to be featured here. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for that. Uh, let's go back just a minute to Disney. Now, I spent uh, a few years as a florist myself. And one of the big things about being a florist, especially in Indiana, is that in the middle of the winter, you open up this big cooler and there is spring and summer right in your face. And I can't imagine, what was it like? You must have had just thousands of flowers to work with at Disney. Yeah, so I was actually in the greenhouses. So I did like the, um, they actually had food crops. It's the Living oh. with the Land boat ride. So it was actually hydroponics. Um, oh, interesting. But, yeah, so uh, a lesser known part of Disney, um, we did, uh, I worked in propagation. So I, I helped get all the plants ready to go on stage, as we like to call it. Oh. And, um, but you're speaking of a florist. I did get to shadow the florist at Disney, and that was an, ex an experience like none other. They, they, there were so many flowers. I bet there were. Um, let's get back to um, the Barnes Ar Arboretum. So what type of roses were you caring for? So we uh, we were caring mainly Floribundas, hybrid teas, um, you know, modern roses. But there were actually a lot of um, kind of in the perimeter of the garden. There were probably about 150 total there. Mm -hmm. There were like the hybrid Spinocissimas, um, the Huguenus, the really early blooming species roses that were there, they're very beautiful. And I loved having those as well because it kind of was the harbinger of spring and mm -hmm. the first to bloom, even though, um, and then also they had such nice hips. Um, but then we had, uh, you know, a lot of um, hybrid teas, a lot of floribundas. This is, and this is where I got to introduce, be introduced to one of my favorite roses today, and that is Europeana. We had a I was amazed just how well that grew in the shade and humidity um, with very little spraying. So, you know, it, it did a whole bunch of different roses. Well, I know that they um, they have a lot of historical plants there. So I figured they would probably have historical roses as well. You know, um, they they have less historical ro ro with the roses because they um there were not as many records. They, they're, oh. uh, the Barnes Foundation is known for its uh, champion trees more so than their, their roses there. Um, but there were a few that Laura Barnes, who was the Arboretum director, um, really you know, cherished that we, we preserved. But for the most part, they, they, uh, um, Harrison's, Harrison's yellow was an important one to her that uh, that was important to her that we we preserved. That's when we have in our garden and we have a story of how it came to us and it came to the person who came to them and on through their family was a passed down rose. So I have an affinity for that rose as well. 
and it is a harbinger of spring. Um, I like to call that time in my garden fireworks and fragrance. If you don't grow old roses, you just don't get that beautiful display and that wonderful fragrance that can come from the older roses. Yes, I agree. Now, you did something, you, you, you work today in, in something that I had never heard of, and that's called Great Plant Picks. So I'm very interested to hear about this work. It's just, uh, it's new to me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm very proud of um, being on the Great Plant Picks Committee. Well, that's a tongue twister. It is. <laughs> it is. It's okay. Um, so I, the short of it is, it's a bunch of plant nerds talking about plants and making good selections to, for the public. Um, that's that's the condensed version of it. Um, <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah I, I i love it the every the, the detail we get into about plants is is astounding um and um even with all my plant knowledge uh i always feel i always leave there like feeling like i learned so much and that is truly one of the best things about plants and horticulture you're you're always learning it's um opening up new possibilities oh, um, but talking about uh what i about my connection to that. So it's an educational committee that is sponsored by the Carrie Miller Garden that's just right outside of Seattle. And this uh, garden, they, they organize plant experts from Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia in, in that area, that Pacific Northwest. And our goal is simple. We are trying to communicate the best plants for our areas and not just the best plants in the area, but ones that are actually available so you can plant them. I mean, it's very disappointing when you learn about a plant that just does really well and you just really can't find it. So that's really important to us to have um, plants that are, that are readily sourced. And so we are divided into shrubs, perennials, trees, and um, I think there's a vine committee as well. So we are all have our specialties. So you can really get some depth to that knowledge. And I am on the shrub committee and I was recruited because of my connection and knowledge of roses. And so I think what's really interesting is, you know, we have these, I, I really appreciate um, the plant folks like extending a hand to the rose community because sometimes mm -hmm. they don't always overlap. Um, so the fact that this group wanted, they were like, we really want to emphasize roses more. We realize it's an important genus to feature. And um, so we would love to have you on the committee. And so that is really um, an amazing thing that we can branch out um, to uh, communicate the roses we like to not just people who are interested in roses, just all folks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and it is very much um, area specific. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. So it is Pacific Northwest. So I know that's not going to apply to everyone, all the listeners, but uh, at the same time, um, maybe if it uh, passes our test, maybe you want to try it in your area because you just know and at least in one area it's doing really well. 
It just, I went to the website and the posters on the website are phenomenal, gorgeous pictures and plants. And it's broken down by fragrance, a a poster on fragrance or foliage or small space plants, even containers. So very easily someone new to the area or just getting started can go there or wanting to beef up their collection and know just what to get. It's phenomenal. I, I think every region needs this for sure. I, I, I like that. We can uh, we can be a good model for others. Yes, you certainly can. So if we have listeners who are interested in doing this for your community, your area, go to this website and see what they're doing. It's just phenomenal. So well done you. And I'm so glad they asked. And, you know, being able to cross um, plant information is just so important. And I'm sure they've been very blessed by the information they receive from you. And they'll be able to enjoy roses at a deeper level, for sure. Absolutely. So thank you for that. Now let's talk about the main hat you wear as curator of the International Rose Test Garden. We want to know all about it. So get us started. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to know where where to start with the the rose garden, um, but let's let's start with our our vision. Our vision of the rose garden is to be a living laboratory that connects people to roses, and we do that in so many different ways. And I think that the easiest way we do that is for starters, just how how we're organized. We are a city park. We are part of the Portland Parks. And recreation system. So what, first and foremost, we are a free garden. So that means access is um, very, we have a lot of access. And of course, there's always things we can improve. um, But just being able to go there anytime and and your financial situation doesn't have to be a barrier. Mm -hmm. And and as a result, uh, it isn't just a place to look at roses. It's a place to recreate, to picnic, to take pictures for your um, wedding, to uh, take pictures for your quinceanera. It, it truly, because it's a open and free to the public, um, life happens in the Rose Garden. And, mm-hmm. um, I, and I'm very fortunate that in between uh, planting, fertilizing, watering, I get to enjoy those moments that I see happen around me. So oh. that's... <laughs> that's so special. That's so special. You know, I know that you're truly going to be a person who doesn't work in the garden, just work in the garden. You're going to stop and smell the roses and, and, and well, you should for sure. Absolutely. Yes. That's one of definitely the perk of the job. And that's probably one of our number one questions is which one should I smell? Um, and uh, we're, we're working on how to best communicate that through whether it's through signage or QR codes. Um, that is certainly one thing we're working on. Uh, that is just the way people enjoy, you know, whether it's a lilac or a peony or or a rose, you know, that they're just known for the fragrance. And that's what people are, you know, just the way they communicate with the rose is by oftentimes something that grew in a grandmother's garden or that's a part of their history. And so that fragrance just takes them back to something beautiful. Yes, I, I, I agree. And uh, I think I can confirm your what you just said by people want to talk about their their nostalgia as it relates to roses and, and scent is a part a huge part of that 
Um, a few, just a side story. A, a few years ago, I was visiting um, a nursing home, just taking some, it was pre-COVID, taking some roses to a nursing home. And, you know, it's been a little more difficult to do that sort of thing since then. But um, going in and just handing them out to people. And in that particular bouquet were some fragrant flowers. And the conversations by these women, um, most of them in wheelchairs. I mean, it, the conversation was strong and the history was strong. And I left there thinking, I think they might be sharing stories about um, that maybe they haven't shared before, just because when they smelled the flowers, it triggered something. So it was a special day for me, for sure. Oh, that's so nice. I, I'm yeah. so glad to hear that. And uh, oh. We need to do more of that, too. Um, yeah. So we get these beautiful things and we do want to share them. So let's talk just a little bit about your location. I mean, you're in the city of roses, right? Yes, we are. Yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. My sister once visited Portland in June and said she felt guilty that I wasn't there because it's just phenomenal. And I know I would enjoy going and hopefully I will someday. So you get to live in the city of roses. Yes, so we get to live in the city of, it is um, uh, certainly a great climate for growing roses. So that's our, our first um, thing going for us. And um, the second thing, as far as how we got to be the city of roses, you know, we, we kind of decided we wanted to be the city of roses. Um, so roses, are, roses grow well there, but we wanted um, to, 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 to kind of cement that as our identity. And how that happened was, um, so let's see, Georgiana Pettick in 1889 did the first Rose Show um, up at Pettick Mansion. She was the wife of Henry Pettick, who, um, you know, without getting into like a, a full-blown biography, uh, <laughs> was he owned the Oregonian, which is still around today, our um, major newspaper. And um, so she had our first rose show. And, you know, I know a lot of our listeners are avid rose showers. So um, it's nice to hear the history of that. And, and through that, the Portland Rose Society um, was born, which I understand is, I think, the oldest uh, rose society in, in the country. Um, so it kind of all started here, at least, at least, on, at least on record. <laughs> well, that sounds great. Yeah, and and through that we we started the Rose Festival and um, well actually let me let me back up a little bit more before the first Rose Festival happened we hosted the Lewis and Clark Expo in 1905 and we again we decided we wanted to be the city of roses so to <laughs> cement that identity we planted about ten to twenty thousand roses oh. along the parade route. So you can imagine all the work work that went into that, you know, the what what a way to, to rally the community. <laughs> Where did they even find them? That's my first thought. <laughs> I I agree. I just wish there was like a, a movie about it, about just the politics yes. of getting ten to twenty thousand roses planted. <laughs> oh my goodness. And and it was all Madame Caroline Testu. Uh, so it's also even more remarkable that they got that many of just one variety. Oh, and um, we still have that rose planted in the rose garden today as um, as a historical reminder of our, you know, of how we got to be the city of roses. 
What a great story. That's just a phenomenal story. I hope they had some time. I mean, someone worked hard to provide the roses, yes. and that's a lot of digging. Gosh, absolutely. That's a lot of digging. That is so true. Oh, <laughs> a lot of watering, too. Ooh. Well, that's commitment. There you go. That's commitment. So well-earned title, City of Roses. And, and so how that translates to the Rose Garden is, um, so think about timeline. 1905, we become the City of Roses. It wasn't until 1917 that the Rose Garden um, was founded. So there, there was quite a gap in between. Um, however, I will mention Peninsula Park Rose Garden in, in uh, North Portland um, was, oh, it was like 1909 or 1913. I think it's 1913. So we were not the first Rose Garden in city of Portland. And even Lad's Edition, which is in the, it's just in a neighborhood. So it's pretty amazing to have like this mm -hmm. amazing Rose Garden amongst residents. Um, that was founded in, in 1909. So we have these three major Rose Gardens and um, it wasn't until 1917 that we broke ground. And the reason why we got founded was Jesse Curry, he is our first curator and founder. And I believe he was a president of the American Rose Society for a time. He was committed to making a premier rose garden for the city for testing and also to be an economic boost to the city of Portland. And I was actually very fortunate that we had a researcher who did her thesis on interpretation for certain city parks and she chose the Rose Garden as a case wow. study. And through her, she dug up so much really nice correspondence between Jesse Curry, uh, I don't remember the two other gentlemen names, um, a, 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 a priest, or not a priest, a minister, and another community member who were basically determined to, um, to, you know, have this test garden in um, the West Hills of Portland, Oregon. And um, a little bit more about the location. We are part, uh, we are a rose garden, but we are part of a grander park called Washington Park. Mm -hmm. And within Washington Park proper, there's the Japanese garden, there's Hoyt Arboretum, there's the Oregon Zoo, and there's also greater Washington Park that includes the Cloud Forest. It also includes Piddick Mansion, which, you know, as you mentioned, as I mentioned, Georgiana Piddick, that's where she lived with her husband, Henry. Hmm. So it is a, it, it is a, a hidden, it is a, it is not hidden, definitely not hidden, but it is a gem, but surrounded by um, just a, a million other gems. It's like, it's like a crown, you know, there's, <laughs> there's just wow. so many um, destinations and cultural institutions. So we are quite a destination for horticulture and for visiting Portland. And it sounds like a great place for events as well. Yeah. Yes. We, yes, we do have a lot of events. We have it. We actually have an amphitheater that uh, has a stage and um, Johnny Cash played on that stage Wow! and talking heads. Um, so quite, quite a rich history in, in events. And I, I will say that I don't see as many weddings as, um, as historically has happened, but 
I feel like the trend has most people are wanting to have the weddings ceremonies on the, the, the venue reception site. So it makes sense that maybe they're not wanting to do the logistics of getting married mm -hmm. in the garden and mm -hmm. then going to the country club or wherever that they'll have the reception. Yeah. Uh, but I see a lot of proposals. Oh. I see a lot of um, uh, picnics and, you know, during, during COVID, there are so many uh, team building exercises. You can tell companies that were working from home, they wanted to use the space to get their team together. And it was just a, a safe way to, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I think with COVID, the certainly uh, visitation went down, but the the rose garden is mainly a tourist attraction so when that tourism went away um you know you, you saw just um how the community itself reused the space they used the space differently there were more um picnics um and and you know meetings between friends more so than people taking pictures and um enjoying the space in a tourism sense you know, there's, you know, much to um, to be down about about COVID and all of that. But we did have some beautiful things that came as a result. And I think, you know, just as you spoke of, you know, enjoying enjoying our world in a different way. You know, that was a bonus that, yeah. to people. And, you know, not only um, we missed people, so we wanted to be with them. We really just had a jolt there. But, you know, those spaces, I think uh, we've heard of other, you know, so many people, you know, record numbers of people decided to make a garden. And, you know, those sorts of outside things just became really important to people in creating their own spaces and visiting spaces. So um, I think that was and that was a little bonus there. Uh, unintended consequence, but 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 nice for sure. So I'm glad that you got to see that. Yeah. Now you call it a test garden. Are roses being evaluated, or were they being evaluated in the beginning? Yes. So yes and yes. Um, we are um, one of our claims to fame is we are the oldest continuously operating test site. So we have start we started testing in 1917, and we still are testing today and testing means a lot of different things. Um, we have our evaluations. So a lot of us are probably familiar with American Garden Rose Selections mm -hmm. and American Rose Trials for Sustainabilities. So we are proud hosts to both of those uh, independent uh, award um, programs. And I, I serve as an evaluator and we also have um, a few of their members in the Rose Society that brings their Rose expertise to these evaluations. Excellent. And we also have an award that the Rose Garden gives out. So it's unique to us. It's called the Gold Medal Award. And it has been given out since 1919. So over 100 years of, um, of, of awards. And this is... Um, a team of probably about seven folks, so we, we are board, and we do um, evaluations on these roses about three to five years, and we do scoring similar to ADRS and ARTS, um, a numerical scoring based on, you know, disease resistance, habit, color finishing, all the things we want to, to see in a rose, um, mm -hmm. and of course, fragrance, things like that. Yeah. Um, 
And so once the score reaches 85, then it goes to discussion. So all of the roses that are candidates and you become a candidate if you are planted in the garden um, after two years of being planted in the garden, but no more than five. So you have that window of time where you're new enough that you can win an award, but you know, you've been long in the garden to have a fair evaluation on performance. And, um, and then after you reach that 85 score, we go to discussion. And then as a group, we decide about one or two roses that get this important distinction. And again, this is for um, our area, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, can you share some of the winners? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so let's see a few. Uh, we have some like old favorites, you know, like Chrysler Imperial. We have Bloomfield Abundance. I think that was the first ever win winner. Um, and then the most recent one was, I believe, All Dressed Up, which is actually a really one of my favorites. Um, let's see. And then just if I'm just throwing them out there, I'm thinking South Africa was a winner. Um, Frida Kahlo was a winner. These are more recent ones. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have things like Burnaby, very, you know, old roses, because, you know, this rose award has been around since 1919. Mm -hmm. So we really have this like, and, and the nice thing is if this rose wins the award, it gets planted in our permanent rose garden collection. Oh. So we have all those roses that have won the award. Now you mentioned that collection is the, is the garden broken up into sections like maybe named sections? Are there areas that are just the test and some are more permanent or is it broken out in, in specific groupings? Yeah, that's exactly. We have, there are gardens within the gardens. So we have a section, the gold medal garden, and we also have a few other sections um, called the Royal Rosarian, the promenade the, and the Queens walk. And we also have the, the formal testing areas because, you know, I mentioned AGRS and ARTS, they have their own section. And so they're, because they're planted differently than the rest of the garden. So, and so let me, let me, let me chat a little bit about um, just how it's set up as much as I can explain it. So we have, um, I'd say about 99% of the, of the rose varieties are um, provisional, which means they get they get uh, they get changed out to another variety, probably on a seven to ten year cycle. And the reason for that is we want to showcase the most innovative roses on the market. And also, if one is not performing well, uh, we will we will also go ahead and take that out. Um, you know, granted, mm -hmm. it gets its proper um, time to to shine. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that 99% is auditioning that provisional, the 99 provisional number are auditioning for the permanent status in the Rose Garden. And that is the gold medal collection. Oh, so yeah. it's gonna be permanently there if it's planted in the gold medal collection. So we have hundreds of beds, but truly only 15 to 16 of them will not be replanted. Um, depending on uh, what sort of plants. And we work with a lot of companies who are so generous in donating uh, their newest rose varieties to the rose garden. And as a result, they get to be entered in gold medal garden, mm -hmm. the gold medal um, award or Portland's best rose, which is a, 
a similar, um, this is another trial we do, but it's similar to like the Biltmore trials. It's a one day judging event mm -hmm. versus a prolonged uh, valuation over a couple of years. Yes. Now, could you speak to how the roses are cared for? I'm sure each test has their own criteria, but your roses in general that, that you take care of, um, um, the, your way, how are the roses cared for? Absolutely. That People want to hear about how we do that so they can go ahead and replicate it. Um, yes. yeah. So, so we, how do I, how do I say this? So, you know, we, let me, let me talk a little bit about the climate. So Portland is known for being super rainy. Um, but the truth is they only, there's only a rainy season because there can be three to four months that we actually do not get any rainfall at all. So what that means is um, we have to have um, irrigation, like supplemental irrigation um, for our roses. So we have pop-up heads. And so on the, I'd say our the rains usually start, I mean, it's so, it's really hard to tell. It feels like it changes every year now with the climate. Um, but the rainy season should be September to, you know, anywhere into to May. And then on the June, July, August, and early September, we have it on a timed controller for irrigation. And um, we do have a fair amount of clay. And so most of the roses get irrigated, uh, let's see, probably about twice a day for about three, three to four minutes. We have two start times to allow for that water to settle down. Um, we also fertilize with uh, slow-release nitrogen, and we, we do it when there's about half an inch of growth on the, on the roses. And we also be mind, want to be mindful of how rainy it is, because if it's a really rainy uh, spring, we, you know, we might time our fertilization differently so it doesn't keep leaching out. Mm -hmm. And then they get a little bit of a fertilizer when we fertilize the turf in, in July. Um, we also do pruning twice a year. So roses in Portland can get so big. In fact, sometimes I call it a rose forest because <laughs> sure. they just get so tall. It's unbelievable. And um, so we have to prune them. We call it wind pruning. We have to prune it to our waist in um, probably end of October, just to minimize the damage from the winds and the rains during the, mm -hmm. the winter. And then we do a more detailed prune in, around um, President's Day. I say Valentine's Day just because it has the association with roses. Mm -hmm. And that's when we get out, take all the dead wood, we take it down to our knees. And, um, and so we have 10,000 roses. I, I probably didn't mention that yet. And I was going to ask. I hadn't gotten to that yet. I'm so glad you said that. Now, while you're talking about caring for them, yeah, it gives us a whole nother view. Uh, I have to say, one thing I love about my job uh, is the rose prunings, or the rose prunings. We have two twice a year, and so we get it all done in one day. And it kind of has that whole barn raising mentality <laughs> where we have, you know, again, we are part of the park system. So there's horticulturists that um, work in other parks. And so we get all the horticulturists from all the parks throughout the city. So you're looking at 30, 30 people. 
we get all the Rose Garden volunteers. We get um, crews. Basically, we have we recruit like I think the most we've had pruning roses in one day was 90 folks. So um, it was unbelievable and a, a lot of fun. Um, organized chaos. <laughs> Uh, my next thought is, what are you doing with all the pruning, the 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 canes that you've just pruned? <laughs> so yeah, the short answer is we compost them. Yes. Oh my goodness. So I bet it's a fun day. You know, just everybody of one accord, just out doing their thing. Spring, everything is easier in the spring. You're just thinking about, you know, there's no problems. It's going to be a perfect year. You just have all the delusions of grandeur. So it's just, it's just, I'm sure it's a wonderful day. It it really is. Um, Again, always one I look forward to. And, you know, it could, it could be raining that day, but we always finish up with, soup and snacks and um, just that warm feeling of making a difference. Oh, that's so good. Now, when it comes to pest diseases, how are you handling those? Yes, uh, this is both the worst and best part of my job. I get to use my scientific mind to create solutions, but at the same time, it's just amazing. You know, when you, it's like whack-a-mole, when you have one issue, um, you know, another one comes up. Uh, so I would say that, you know, I started growing roses on the East coast. And so I unfortunately brought that East coast mentality to the West coast, um, where I was so worried about, um, all these fungal diseases, which, you know, is, is certainly concerning considering, you know, roses. Um, but I would say that the climate here, um, is a makes it a lot less susceptible to these fungal diseases such as black spot. And, um, and we have no rose rosette disease yet. Like I, you know, in fact, most people here have never even heard of it. So I'm just like, don't speak the name, Mm -hmm. you know, don't say it. (laughs) We don't want it or Japanese beetles. So I have to say we are a little spoiled in the sense that, um, we do not have as many as we could have. Um, but going back, so we do treat for, for black spot and we do a, a two week rotation of fungal, uh, of, of fungicides. And although we were able to cut down about 50% of our spraying this year. So um, I'm seeing, um, you know, maybe not a complete curtail of the chemical control, but at least a diminish and be a little bit more strategic. And I'm spraying things such as like Banner Max and um, Compass, those types of fungicides. Um, perhaps the, the bane of my existence is Midge, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, and especially there was an there was a aminoclobrid was prohibitive in Portland, so we mm-hmm. had to actually do some trials to find an alternative. And luckily, we did get fined too. Um, for that trial. And so we do um, a granular treatment in the, in around March for Midge, and then as needed throughout the season. And really, instead of doing a blanket control, I just notice hot spots in Midge and treat mm-hmm. those, those hot spots. So instead of having to do the entire garden, and that just minimizes our reliance on, on chemicals and, you know, it's just a lot less labor 
Yes, absolutely. Now, Midge, a Midge will take your rose garden away. So there's mm-hmm. just no not working with Midge or you, you there are no roses. That little Midge just will just take them they'll be gone. I remember yes. the first um, time that I dealt with it, it, it happened in the summer. It seems like July is when you start seeing the evidence. And it was like that second um, uh, big flush of blooms just didn't happen. Mm. But I was left with those burnt matchsticks. And so oh. I had to, you know, call some of my uh, friends. Actually, they were coming over, some of my rose friends. And um, so one of my mentors said, oh, you have midge. And I said, midge, what's midge? And boy, I know what midge is now. <laughs> oh, boy, yes. Midge is a daily, it's part of your daily vocabulary now, I'm yeah. sure. So we, you know, we don't have a lot, but we do have a little. And um, the advice I was given was uh, sayonara. And um, um, so we have, we have, um, you know, used that uh, to uh, treat Midge when we see it. So, um, but um, yeah, there's just some things that we just have to, um, to have a rose garden. We have to um, look for solutions, continue to look for the best solutions, but um, use what we can, the least amount that we can while we find better solutions. Absolutely. Yes. So what, what else do we need to know about this rose garden? When do you open up the garden? So the, uh, the rose garden, so it's a public park. So we are open every day, 365 days a week. And I mean, it's not a week, um, a year. <laughs> we'll have you a long week. <laughs> we got you. We got you. Um, and uh, we are open from sunrise to sunset. So um, we, you know, and we don't, we don't have gates and uh, we do do a parking lot. We do have a rose store. So uh, if anyone wants to get a souvenir for their time visiting the rose garden, um, there is one available. Um, what else is there? We have like some two fountains. So we have like a lot of other sculptural elements in in the garden as well as roses i mean of course the roses are the main attractions and you know what i think is also special just the perimeter surrounding the rose garden is just a dense um a dense um perimeter of conifers and evergreens um you have your dug firs you have your um your western red cedars so it it really feels again like a, a forest and you have this Pacific Northwest background, but then you have all this beautiful color. Um, if you're standing in the right spot on a clear day, you can see Mount Hood. Um, and it is truly, a, 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 even if, you know, you don't want to know about, see all the roses, just the 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 impact um, is, is something unique. Oh, I bet. Now, one other thing I wondered about, um, was if you have any workshops on rose care or designing with roses or any of that sort of thing that go on in the park? So I will say that the one thing that we could do better on is um, better educational programs. So we do offer a free tour every day um, from Memorial Day to, to Labor Day. And, and thanks to our lovely Master Gardener program, we're able to staff that with knowledgeable Mm -hmm. um, group of folks that love roses that are trained. Um, But, and sometimes the rose society, uh, I think they used to do some rose pruning demos um, in the rose garden, but you know, that's something we could certainly improve on. Um, Having people to, to, um, 
take people either one-on-one or in small groups is probably a great education. So, because you're getting that question, that specific question at the time that they see the rose. So, so I think that's a great thing that you do. And the other question I had was about volunteers. Uh, Do you have a team of volunteers that um, you count on throughout the weeks? Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the Rose Garden runs on volunteers. I, and I'm very grateful um, just the support that people have for the garden and, you know, in, in the community. Um, so we have, I think we have a, a mailing list of about 700. Um, I think about 100 regularly come. And um, this might be a good time to talk just, just how the whole staffing is structured because, um, so we have a, the best way I like to put it is, um, instead of talking about FTEs or how many full-time folks who we have, we have a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And a huge part of that is volunteers. Um, we have park staff that maintains the assets, make sure um, you know um, that irrigation's running, um, make sure that um, the park is clean and safe and that type of thing and any sort of like um, edging and uh, using mm-hmm. power equipment that's that's in the realm of staff and then we have about um, and then when we talk about our volunteers we they do so much they um, give tours they deadhead um, they have special projects that um, they work with me on like right now I have a team of um, Rose snippers, they are actually going around smelling all the roses systematically and assigning uh, a certain score to the scent. Um, we're doing it at different times of the day too, so we could capture, um, we can capture the different um, uh, nuance of smelling. And, and then we're going to put that in um, some sort of communication to the public. So. Um, oh, that's fabulous. Everybody wants to be on that team. Exactly. <laughs> what a team. What did no. you do today, honey? Uh, you know, just, uh, snipped roses and, you know, put some data to create some data, you know. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. Um, so, and then we have a volunteer board, um, the Friends of the Washington Park Rose Garden. And so, uh they are an advocacy board that helps um, train and um, manage volunteers, but they also, their important part is their advocacy, that they really care about the Rose Garden. And, you know, the Rose Garden is part of the park system. And I am, I certainly appreciate the, I, I, how, how solid the funding is but we are one bit of a bigger organization. So um, there's a lot of conflicting organiza- uh, conflicting you know, needs. Um, so having uh, someone advocating for the Rose Garden is certainly helpful. Oh, and- I, that is, I, those people are just um, worth their weight in gold. I was just at Elizabeth Park. We uh, just are back from vacation out East and went to the Elizabeth Park Rose Garden. And it's a historical place, as you can imagine. And so one of the things that I learned was that many, many years ago, there was talk that the garden, there wasn't 
people there to keep it up and that sort of thing. And they were just going to plow it under. And so this group, the Friends of Elizabeth Park Rose Garden, saw that that didn't happen and that plans were put into place to um, take care of the garden. The garden is amazing. So, you know, just a few people can have a big effect on that sort of thing. Um, so I was so appreciative of those people that I'll never know and be able to thank, but, but I'm so glad that you have such a group. Yeah, absolutely. I, they certainly, um, help make that Rose Garden what it is today. Um, and one thing I also do want to add as far as we're talking about, you know, how the Rose Garden is supported is, um, there was a levy that was passed in 2020, um, by the citizens of Portland to help, um, uh, keep, you know, elevate and maintain the the parks at a better standard and keep that. And um, the Rose Garden has really benefited from that parks levy. Um, they were able to give me some more positions to help work in the Rose Garden, some FTEs. So I just, uh, I just see a huge difference from that levy. So good. You know, they're just, um, you can't have a Rose Garden without some people and some resources. So Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, they can, they can live on their own, but they might not be as beautiful in that exactly. mass as you want them to be. It takes a city to take care of a rose garden. Yes. And you're, you're in the right city. Exactly. Yes. Lots of support. And I appreciate that. That's wonderful. Well, now, before I let you go, we have to get down to the brass tacks of things. And you spend all this time in a rose garden looking at beautiful roses and smelling wonderful roses. So what are your favorites? Oh, man, that I'm sure everyone has difficulty. I um, I like to categorize them. Um, The nice thing is I get to see the newest ones, a lot of new ones. So I get to change it every year because, you know, based on uh, what comes in. I would say, I think I mentioned this early, probably my all-time favorite one is Europeana. I have an affinity for red roses, mm-hmm. and I, I particularly sentimental because that was one of the first ones I grew and grew well, because uh, there's a difference. <laughs> um, and, you know, it did well on the East Coast, and it's doing well on the West Coast. So that just kind of reminds me, um, you know, it just, it just kind of makes me feel good that it, it, it does well in all regions. Um, I would say a few other ones that are probably a little bit more uh, um, recent. Um, I really like, I, I'm, I'm, let's talk about red roses still. Um, I love the Desmond Tutu rose. It is, uh, the blooms are so persistent and there's always something beautiful to look at. Um, unfortunately, it does not have the fragrance that I like, but I don't think um, your Piana has that. I think probably the best red roses with fragrance would be Firefighter if I had two of them. Say that. Um, I really like um, Daybreaker. That's a stunner. One of my favorites. I also like All Dressed Up. That mm-hmm. one, I think the first year I planted it, it was like I pl- it was like the third year. It was just so vigorous in its first year. And I think that's important because people who are just planting roses, if, if you know, if they have to wait three years for it to get full size, you know, maybe there aren't as... Um, willing to to plant more roses but you know having roses that do really well in the first year is is helpful um i have to say uh gosh <laughs> I, I wrote some down um tequila supreme i really like that rose a lot that one's actually a, 
a big crowd favorite here in the Rose Garden, as well as Parade Day. That's a that's another mm -hmm. favorite from folks. That's pretty. Those are really pretty. Um, and I think this is a brand new one. Make Me Blush is is uh, really starting to wow me. And again, another crowd favorite. Um, those are all kind of newer ones. Um, I would say, sorry, I'm just like, what could I, I don't know if I can ever uh, <laughs> stop talking about this. I think it's Marietta, the, that mini, that one is a really, really interesting bloom. The outline just gives it a three-dimensional mm -hmm. look to it. And um, I, I really like Sugar Moon. I, I love white roses and, you know, you just don't really see that many available on the market. You know, I don't really like white ones because thrips can show the damage really, um, really blatantly. But um, I, I, I do love the white roses and that one has a wonderful fragrance. Mm -hmm. I love the light colored ones too. And you, you do see the thrip damage and especially that very first uh, flush you'll mm -hmm. see it, I but I forgive them because they just are so rich and them. beautiful. <laughs> so pretty. You know, thing. I like what you said about, it says a lot about a rose if it comes out of the gate, you know, swinging. Um, I had a couple of test roses from uh, Proven Winners and they all did well, but one that just, I mean, just blew me away has been Reminiscent Pink. And I don't know if you have that one out there, but it looks like an old fashioned rose. It's reminiscent pink. It is absolutely stunning. And mm. it's just in all summer, it has just kept going, even when, you know, we're getting near 100 this week. And it's shell pink. And I love pink. Um, and so many pink ones to choose from. But this one is outstanding. And of course, this is second year, but it's just been covered in so many blooms and it's yeah. just healthy and fragrant and so a real winner there um so i'm excited to see what others are going to come out of that series for sure but you know some roses just do take a little while and i couldn't help but think about my garden when you were talking about you have to you know <laughs> before winter uh, you have to do that uh, waist high pruning because if around here if you have david austin's they're going to need the waist high mm. pruning <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> they, I think they all want to be climbers. Yeah, exactly. Or, or floppers, whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I like a good floppy, you know, flouncy rose. But, you know, the winter the winter winds is just not good. Yeah. <laughs> well, Teresa, you inspired me. I'm looking up that new rose and um, I'm going to have to look into getting that. So. I think you'll love it. You know, we're in totally different climates, but, you know, it doesn't sound too different for that rose, I think goes from four to 10. So, um, uh, so it should, it should work out there and it is awfully pretty and it's not so large, although it's full and pretty, it's not so mm -hmm. large that it couldn't work in any garden. So, and, and I, that's one of the things I kind of a new trend that we're seeing is a lot of the roses will fit on any balcony and in containers. And, and this is definitely a beauty that would do that as well. All right. So, I like it. And, you know, we are a test garden, so we just have to test it out and see for ourselves. So yeah, see what you think and let me know. <laughs> I will. To be continued. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Obviously, you're a very, very busy girl. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I, again, I've been listening to this podcast in, early in my career, so I am just 
I am just floored that I get to be here. So thank you, Teresa. Thank you so much. Friends, we're so glad you joined us today, too. I told you it was going to be exciting, and wasn't it? And until next time, please have fun in your garden. And don't forget, fall's coming, and we need to take extra time to smell the roses. You've been listening to the Rose Chat Podcast with Chris Van Cleve and Teresa Byington, expert rose gardeners who want to help you achieve the rose garden of your dreams. Don't miss an episode. Listen anytime on our website at rosechatpodcast.com or listen on the go via the Rose Chat app on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Share this podcast with your social networks and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using the hashtag RoseChat. Join us next time for another edition of the Rose Chat Podcast. The Rose Chat Podcast is a production of the Rose Chat Media Group, Birmingham, Alabama.